Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is the art of charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. A lot of the AOC sisters, aka our female listeners, have been asking, where's the AOC stuff for women? And this is one of those episodes. This is an AOC female toolbox episode. It's gonna be really, really enlightening for both men and women. I don't think if you're a guy that you should skip it, but if you're really not interested in seeing things from the opposite perspective, go ahead, skip to another episode at your own peril. In this episode, we're gonna be talking about the narcissist code, cracking the narcissist code, narcissists, man, children, tornado relationships, family patterns, how to crack the narcissist code from the minute you say hello, and how to set boundaries. With that, welcome to The Art of Charm. The Art of Charm brings together the best thought leaders, teachers, and exceptional individuals to teach you how to be a top performer in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise and packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a curriculum. We may not have all the answers, but we definitely have all the questions. Make sure to stay up to date with The Art of Charm and get some great stuff that we don't or can't share on the show by signing up at theartofcharm.com. We'll send you our fundamentals toolkit that covers topics like body language and nonverbal communication, persuasion, business networking, public speaking, negotiation, and a whole lot more. I'm also doing regular videos with drills and exercises to help you move forward every single week. I also want to encourage you to join us in the Social Capital Challenge at theartofcharm.com slash challenge or text CHARMED to 33444 and we'll have you set up right away. This challenge is about improving your social capital and inspiring more people to develop a personal and professional relationship with you. It will make you a better networker and a connector. Text CHARMED to 33444 or go to theartofcharm.com slash challenge. Now, Kim Seltzer. So for those of you who haven't heard Kim on the show before, she's a makeover and confidence expert, therapist, dating coach based in LA, and she coaches women for The Art of Charm. And you've got this mini toolbox running for the ladies here, for guys and girls both, but really female focused, because I just can't get more email about how we ignore women when really the advice that we provide is largely unisex, except for a lot of the dating stuff. So. I wanted to bring someone on who could sort of face down the challenges women face when it comes to things like today's show, which is setting boundaries and over caretaking, if I can phrase it like that. Why is this important? I mean, is this a really common problem that you see in your female friends and in your clients? I do. I do. It's almost like an epidemic, I would say. I mean, I see it with men as well, but women in particular, I think we're socialized to be caretakers, you know, even from when we were really little. So culturally, I see this happening. But then on top of it, a lot of women are growing up in either a family system that encourages the over caretaking. um, And we can talk about that a little bit later. But what happens with that is the women who kind of take care of others, put emphasis on other people's feelings, thoughts, wishes ahead of their own end up in these, you know, kind of horrible situations with dating relationships. They do attract, 
I will say, and I've seen this over and over again, the narcissist or the man children. So I really, I love this topic. You know, this is interesting because I'm hearing a lot of similarity between what we would call nice guy syndrome, which actually is a misnomer, and it doesn't do it any justice because it's it's not that you're actually a nice guy when you're doing this type of behavior. It's because you have what we call a covert contract where you're hoping that, well, if I just drive her to the airport enough, one day she'll be like, oh, the guy who's perfect for me was here all along right in front of me and, Roma, you know, fade to black, crappy rom-com. And... I see a little bit of a difference here, a nuanced difference between men and women doing this and this behavior because females are often raised to do this because that's what good women do and this is your gender role and all that stuff. Whereas a lot of times guys are doing that, they might have been socialized to do it to some degree, but really they're trying to get love in return in an intimate relationship and they don't treat everybody like that. But I feel like a lot of times that when women do this, they do this with all their friends and everyone in their life. Oh my God, completely. And you know, what it is, is when I ask women about their friendships and their relationships with family members, it's the same, you know, and the women will say to me, well, I don't understand. I give, 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 and I'm always helping others, but yet I never get it in return. So I said, well, you know, if this is happening across the board with all your dates, with all your relationships, who is the common denominator? It's the woman. And so, and it's not to like be depressing or like, oh my God, you have such a big problem. Actually, this is a good problem to have because it's not about changing the caretaker in you. It's a beautiful quality. Men love, you know, that about you. But when you do it so much so where you're not taking care of yourself or setting boundaries and kind of also demanding that reciprocity, you know, you know, it's kind of input output. You give and you get. And when there's more balance in that, First of all, the resentment goes down because a lot of these women are filled with resentment and anger. And then it comes off as this passive aggressive stuff that happens later on. This is because of the same covert contract type thing. They're filled with resentment because the guy's like, no, this is great. This is just how she is. Meanwhile, she's like, he never does anything like this for me. I planned all of Thanksgiving and you didn't even take two weeks off for vacation in February. And the guy's like, what? Where's the connection? Right, right. And then meanwhile, back at the ranch, the woman never asked the man for help. So he didn't even know. And that's the point. Yeah. And I don't want to get into like, and it's the lady's fault that the guy is totally oblivious to reciprocative behavior, right? Guys are are largely at fault for not paying attention in relationships many times. And I'm guilty of that myself. What we're looking at here is the behavior and the thought pattern of well, you know, I made him dinner and I come over and I clean his house and why doesn't he love me? And it's like, whoa, there is no real reasonable nexus between that in the mind of the guy, which is fine. And if you're expecting that, you're going to be disappointed. And it's an illogical kind of, again, covert contract where you don't speak your preferences, but you expect him to pick them up through osmosis because you're doing acts of service or whatever. Yeah, exactly. I always say that everybody is always 50% of the equation, right? Like you can't control the other person or the guy, so to speak. All you can do is look at you and how you can change the results. And that's what's exciting about this stuff. And there's really some simple things that you would think are like on a scale, not that big, but they are. And if you do these little things, you'll see, you know, your relationships and the results will change. When we were talking before the show, you'd mentioned that a lot of times people that you work with complain, why are all men jerks? Why are they all narcissists? Where does that come from? Is that directly related to what we're talking about right now? 
It completely is. Okay, so here's the problem that like women will come to me, they'll say, no, all these guys out there, they're all narcissists, they're all men children, there are no good guys out there. And then when I dig a little deeper, come to find that they are doing things like the over caretaking, not setting boundaries, that actually attracts them. So they're becoming almost narcissist magnets. And I believe, and I even wrote an article on this in the Huffington Post on behalf of Art of Charm, by the way, about how like narcissist busters from the minute you say hello, like you really can, if you, if you look for it, can detect a narcissist. And once you start changing things, they actually won't even like you. That's what's funny about it. I had a friend who, um, she was a complete narcissist magnet. And I was out with her one day and, you know, this guy came in and he was the typical, he looked great. He kind of wooed her. He was talking in stories and just, it was all about him. And he went to the bathroom and she turned to me and she said, Oh my God, Kim, he's so cute. Isn't he great? I'm like, well, what's so great about him? And she's like, well, he's so charming. He's so charismatic. I love how he looks. I'm like, that's great. But how are you feeling with him? And moreover, what does he know about you? And she just kind of went blank. And she realized at that moment that she shared nothing about herself. She sat there and was a great audience for him. So of course, he's gonna like that. I said, I'll tell you what, when he comes back, I want you to start sharing something about yourself. See if he's listening to you. So she's like, okay. Sure enough, comes back. She starts telling a little bit about herself. And he's like looking all over the place. He's looking at his watch. He starts talking to the bartender. It was like the typical narcissist behavior. And again, that was within like five minutes. I detected it and she didn't because she was so used to it. So that's what I mean. From the minute you say hello to somebody, there are things you can do. Wow. And so is that a pretty common pattern that you see, not just among women, but among guys with this particular, I hate to say disorder, because that's pretty dramatic and also kind of unqualified, but with this particular set of behavioral traits where they'll talk about themselves to no end and you're like, wow, this is really interesting. Or somebody who doesn't screen for narcissists subconsciously is going, this guy never shuts up, so boring and self-centered. Whereas somebody who's a perfect quote unquote fit for them who's gonna be in a miserable relationship one after the other with the same type of guy is gonna put up with that. Meanwhile, if we just sort of ask ourselves, wow, he hasn't asked me anything, I'm really just playing one part of the audience in this conversation. I guess what I'm asking is, how can women screen for narcissists like this? Okay, so I have four tips that you can really like try when you're out there. Okay, the first thing is set boundaries. And we'll talk more about this a little later, but you know, when you declare your needs and your wants and let them know, you know, what you like, what you dislike, and then see how he responds to you, you're setting a precedent right there. So like, does he respect that you're cold when you're out on a date and you're sitting in a place where there's a draft and does he move for you or does he just kind of ignore you? But if you don't say you're cold and you just sit there and you just make sure that he's comfortable, again, you're already setting a precedent that his needs are greater than yours. Okay, so that's one, set boundaries. Two, look for reciprocity. So narcissists are really good at being charming. They tell stories. It's like when you're like meeting these guys out on dates or out and about, observe if they are just interested in you and your stories or just him. 
And so the minute you start talking about yourself again, yeah, is his eyes all over the place? Is he not even focused on you? Does he turn the conversation back into his story? Classic. Number three, don't give it all away. Don't give away your personal value by doing too much too soon, too fast. Like the narcissist will eat it up. They're looking for an audience. You know, narcissists typically, and this is from a psychological standpoint, they're empty. And so they're looking for external things to fill themselves up, even though they're an empty bucket, and it'll never be fulfilled. You know, are you always playing therapist? This is another thing that I see too. Women who are therapists, nurses, caretakers, even like as jobs, they tend to date that way. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I know I was guilty of that when I first got out there because, you know, again, I was a therapist and I was married to a narcissist. I will totally admit it. So I know this firsthand and I found myself doing that, you know, just kind of listening and almost being like a therapist rather than a sexy, fun, playful date. So again, don't give it all away. And number four, test if the words get put in action. Like, does the person you are attracted to mean what he says and says what he means? So narcissists love to talk a good game, but is he actually like following through? Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years. Going through endless resumes, well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people, because they're all going to give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash charm. Just go to Indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, 
Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to kajabi.com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. That's so interesting and I'm squirming a little bit right now because a lot of this behavior, kind of liking the audience and all that stuff, I feel like not only does it apply to me a little bit, but it applies to a lot of people. So can we put the minds of many men listeners right now at ease because there has to be a degree to which this is normal and just sort of human and or you're an only child <clears throat> or you're or like you're just a full blown narcissist because I don't have dysfunctional relationships because of that. But I do know that, man, when somebody's asking me about myself, I like to talk and I like to get excited and I love telling stories and, you know, da, da, da. but of course, if someone's like, I'm cold, if Jen's, you know, I'm freezing and I don't like it here, I'm not like, so where do we draw the line between, OK, this is normal human behavior or this is a guy who maybe isn't used to being in a relationship. Because I think somebody who's been single for a while might not even think about, oh, I've gotta be really attuned to her on this level and this level and this level, because they're inexperienced or they're young. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I'm glad you asked that because obviously we're talking in generalities and like anything, it's the amount of severity of each of these qualities that I was talking about and how it gets played out, you know, sure age, experience, maturity, birth order, family of origin issues, those all kind of come into play when it comes to being clinically diagnosed as a narcissist, right? But what I'm saying is that if there's a pattern, especially for the women, and they're finding themselves always in relationships with men who are cheaters, gamblers, um, non-committed, guys, you know, things that have like a pattern to them where there's traits that are similar. That's what you have to take a look at. And again, like they come in different disguises, you know, Jordan, just because you talk about your story when Jen shares hers, that doesn't make you a narcissist, right? Like uh -huh. it's more about if you always talked about yourself all the time. And then when Jen kind of states her needs or wants and stories, you're like not even in the same room and you don't even remember what she says. There's a lot of things that honestly, this could be like five different shows because we could really tease each of these things apart. So it's a question of severity. And the reason I was so careful to ask that is whenever I do shows about this type of thing, I'll inevitably get email from guys who are listening who say things like, oh my God, this is me. And I'm like, no, the fact that you sent me this email and you're worried about all these little things that you think you can do better is purely illustrative of the fact that this is probably not you. Because the narcissist goes, so, or goes, I don't do that. I'm perfect. Exactly. I was just going to say, you know what? 
if a guy is writing in worried about some of the traits himself, then he's not a narcissist. Like that's exactly my point is that a narcissist, a true narcissist doesn't even see his own behaviors and blames everybody else for his troubles or challenges. And that was the other thing I was going to say. The other kind of classic thing is that they really don't have empathy. They may say they have empathy and they can like talk about it because they know how to like manipulate. But when it comes to truly understanding people's feelings, they don't get it. And so, yeah, you won't even have the narcissist writing in, is my point. Yeah, that's a good distinction. And I wanted to make it, I wanted to be really clear for both the guys and gals listening to this, that if, if you're finding yourself overly worried about this and you're examining all your relationships right now to find out if you're a narcissist, it's a good sign that you're not. Exactly. And because narcissists don't seek out help either. So I don't honestly think they'd even be listening to the show. <laughs> I go so far to say. No, I don't want to get off on a too much of a narcissist tangent, but it is useful. I have a friend, a female friend whose father actually is just clearly a narcissist and it doesn't even occur to him to be involved in their lives and it she'll have a birthday and he'll go to like the bargain bin and some super low end store and pick out something that probably is appropriate for a 17 year old girl in high school. My friend's like 34, 35. Actually, she might even be older than that and uh, he'll mail it to her in like a padded envelope and be like, happy birthday and it's like a week late. Right, that's so classic. Yeah. And she'll go, you know what, though? This is the first birthday present I've gotten in eight years. And I'm like, holy crap. Granted, there are probably different degrees of this, but this is somebody who's completely self-absorbed. Anyway, so a lot of man children are still out there, and that's maybe to be separated from narcissism. Guys who just can't really wrap their mind around the fact that there's somebody else in the relationship whose job it isn't to totally cater to their needs and their needs alone. Yeah, you know, I wanted to make a distinction between the man children and the narcissist. I mean, a lot of the traits are similar yet a tad different. I see the man children and I'm, I'm sure a lot of listeners out there can relate are the ones who just never grow up. It's the ones where the women find themselves taking care of them emotionally, financially, and physically, so that they have maybe great qualities, they're really fun, and maybe they're musicians or artists, and they're just, they're fantastic guys. But then they're just always, they're needy, and they need to be taken care of, and they just haven't grown up, so to speak. And so what happens is that these two men attract the over-caretakers, and the over-caretakers are attracted to them. Why? Because, well, there's a lot of deeper-seated issues I don't know if we want to get into in the show, but because usually caretakers and women who are like kind of have it all and they're used to doing it all, they are attracted to this kind of childlike charismatic behavior because it kind of whoops them off their feet, so to speak. Well, also, they're probably the only women who are willing to put up with that crap, too. Exactly. Right, because somebody normal is going to be like, you're kidding me, you're unemployed and you just bought an Xbox with your food money so you're hungry, you're such a loser, I'm out of here. Whereas somebody who's got an Uber caretaker mode is like, oh good, I'm needed, right? Right, exactly. I was um, coaching this client and so this is kind of a classic thing how family patterns tie into this attraction piece because I always do like a little bit of a family history when I coach just to get a background to connect the dots, not to stay there like, you know, um, like a Woody Allen on the couch, but to more say, okay, so here's where it comes from. Now, what do we do about it? So 
she was saying that her dad was a full-blown narcissist. He was never around, never emotionally or physically available. And it was pretty much her and mom growing up. And mom actually just was kind of incapable herself, where she found herself in the role of mothering her mom. So who, fast forward, is she getting attracted to, but narcissists and man children, ones where she can feel needed or trying to get attention of the father that she didn't get attention from. So again, it's not to dwell on it or woe is me, but it's like, oh my God, that's like cool that we found the connection there. But then what do we do about it? And so that's when you know, teaching people how to set the boundaries, right? Like what I was saying before, from the minute you say hello, and also doing more like work on yourself so that you see yourself as valuable. That's another trait that I see a lot of times is that women tend to think everyone else is more important than themselves. Let me tell you, you are the most important person in the world. Thank you. I know. Fucking finally, someone realizes it. Anyway. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <Not> you, Jordan. <laughs> Maybe you are a narcissist. Oh my God, I didn't realize God, that. God, I should have listened to the rest of that sentence, but I just wasn't, I zoned out, sorry. Right, because you just heard you're the best. Because I'm a narcissist, right. <laughs> no, I think that's very true, but that, again, kind of goes to my earlier point where that's true even if you're healthy. Actually, it's especially true if you're healthy. It's just a matter of degree, but for people who are attracted to these narcissists and these other types of people, I think maybe you're right. Maybe they don't actually believe that, that they believe that the other is the most important person and thus they need to sort of sacrifice themselves for that. No, it's true. Cause like I'll do an exercise where I have people list their strengths in various areas. And I find that the women, these kind of women have an extremely difficult time doing that exercise, coming up with just three things they like about themselves in different areas of their life. And so that says to me, I'm like, you don't even see your self-worth and how awesome you are. Like I see it, other people see it, but you don't. And it's not until you do till others will. And that's when you're going to attract kind of like the more healthy partner where there's more reciprocity, but it's, it's you that has to believe it before others. Okay. So I have a question. How do you differentiate between an egomaniac and a narcissist or are they basically the same? Well, I think people use it interchangeably. Like narcissist obviously is, if you look in the DSM-4 for diagnosis, you're going to see that you're not going to see an ego, <laughs> egocentric guy in, in the DSM. But I think that there are people who are self-serving, but are not narcissists, right? Like maybe they're just kind of self-involved, but they can still have empathy and have healthy relationships, but maybe they get caught up in in work or in their different situations in their lives. I think that's the distinction. A true narcissist truly cannot come out of it. Like it's just, you know, in fact, a lot of therapists say that they're not even treatable in therapy, that they respond more to like behavior therapy, consequences, rewards, that kind of thing. But when it comes to truly like getting out of that, it's extremely difficult. I want to talk about setting boundaries. If we find ourselves, especially the women who are listening to this, find themselves in situations where they are being taken advantage of or being too nice, et cetera, how do we set those boundaries? Because that's one of those things, this is one of those tips where your friends give it to you and you read about it in books and you're like, yeah, I'm gonna set boundaries. And then something comes along and you're like, I'm not setting a boundary here, it's scary. Exactly, okay, so I have, 
like three exercises that I will share with all of you that I do with a lot of my clients and it can be really impactful. So this sounds so simple, yet I think it's so difficult at times when you really look at using it is really just say no. And what I mean by that, if like a friend wants to go out with you and you really don't feel like it, say no. I know this sounds so simple and maybe like dumb to some people, but people who are over caretakers will might say, you know what, my friend really wants to go out. I don't get to see her a lot. She really wants to, I'll go. Instead of like digging deep and saying, you know what, I don't feel like going out. I want to stay in. I have a lot of stuff to do. And I'm going to set the boundary and say, you know, that I will go out with her Friday if she's able to. Personally, I had a good friend. This is a classic example of setting a boundary. She kept wanting to go out. Okay. And and it was fine. And I, I, I loved it. But every time we would make a plan, she would cancel last minute. It drove me crazy. So I finally said to her, I said, you know what, I am not gonna go out, you know, in the future, if this keeps happening. So she's like, Oh, no, 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 no. And she excused it. And then she did it again. So then I said, I am not going to go out the next time that we have plans. I'm going to actually only go out if I have some time available, you know, spontaneously, I will no longer plan anything with you. And the important thing is actually following through with your actions. So sure enough, she tried it again. And I said, no. And she was really upset with me. She didn't get it because she was so used to me not saying no. But I trained her. And you know what? To this day, she is so thankful when she can go out with me because no longer will I make plans with her. It's just literally when I can. So those are like simple ways that you could do that. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. And I want to sort of dig in even more because what happens when it's hard? I mean, it's easy to go, just say no. But how do we build that as a habit that sticks and starts small even when we fear losing someone? Because it's all fine and good to say, well, I'm not going out with that girlfriend of mine who cancels last minute. But what if you're setting a boundary to a guy that you live with who's you think he might leave you and it's going to leave you alone forever and you're catastrophizing in your head about how you're going to be alone and no one's going to love you? I mean, that's a lot harder. The stakes are higher. The stakes are higher, but then you also have to assess that relationship and that if a guy isn't responding to that and respects your feelings, your desires and your wants, it's exactly what we were talking about in the beginning, then you need to look at the relationship. And if it's too scary, then you need to do some work or call me (laughs) around that to help you get there. Because that's the thing that's so interesting. And I tell women all the time, you know, I'm going to give you a little bit of a warning. As you start setting boundaries and saying no, you're going to start losing friendships. You may have people not like it. And that's okay. And it's actually good because you're weeding out a lot of the unhealthy or maybe codependent relationships that you created in the first place. So a lot of times it's a time for kind of recalibrating and looking and assessing your relationships currently and taking care of that. Because as you get healthy and setting boundaries, your friendships will change. And the people who respect you will love that you're setting the boundary. And the people who don't, then you have to look at that relationship and what it's costing you and how healthy it is. Great. Good. Okay. What about when we're trying to communicate things to our partner as well? I mean, it seems like these things can start fights a lot 
a lot of guys especially are going to get defensive about it because we already kind of maybe know that we're not that great at it. Our gut reaction is to get defensive or the way we're raised, who the hell knows. What are some good, easy, sort of non-confrontational ways that we can give feedback to our partners? Yeah, this is great. So I have a formula that I call an I statement. And what that is, is, you know, a lot of times when we get angry, and we're trying to communicate our feelings, we use you statements like you make me so mad, right? Well, what does that do? When I say that usually, you know, kind of puts the other person on defensive, like I told you, Jordan, like, you make me so mad, you were 15 minutes late for this podcast. Which is true, by the way, right? But how does that feel when I say that? I don't like it. How dare you? Right, right. How dare you? So you, you want to like lash back at me? Always. I statement is this: you say I feel, and then you state your feeling, and then the next part is when, and then you state the behavior, and then you say I would love it in the future if, and then you teach people how you want to be treated in the future. So in that example with Jordan, I'd say I feel really frustrated when you pushed our podcast 15 minutes later. I would love it in the future if you could give me more heads up like an hour before. Because no one can, first of all, get angry at your feelings. You're just stating your feelings. And you're also teaching people how to treat you in the future. So again, it's a boundary, almost teaching for your partner. I love the three parts of the statement. If you break it down, you're looking at the feeling, the behavior, and your future desire. So it's really effective. And people who practice it, it sounds weird in the beginning, but after a while, it becomes part of your vocabulary. People have gotten amazing results from it just using the statement. Well, good. Because the thing is, you can't really argue with someone's feelings, right? Right. Because I can't say, you don't feel that way when I do this. You wouldn't love it in the future if this, but if you say, you make me so mad, I can be like, well, I got shit to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're not the most important thing in my day. How dare you? Or you might bring up shit from the past. Like, well, you were late the other day, and then we're getting in this like stupid argument. That's a rule, actually, that I made with Jen. I, I think I've talked about this before, but we took breaking up off the table. Does this sound familiar? You can't just be like, well, we're breaking up because we're mad at each other. Couldn't do that. We talked about that like the first couple weeks that we started dating. And the other thing was you can't bring up stuff from the past unless it's actually relevant. So if someone's late, you can't say, well, you were late the other day. But if someone's mad at you for doing something that you legitimately didn't know was wrong that they've been doing, you can say, oh, I thought that was cool because you've done it in the past instead of just bringing up a totally unrelated event where the person also made you angry. That's awesome. I love that because see, you're also setting like a precedent and almost like a contract between the two of you before shit happens, so to speak. Never do this stuff, you know, when you're angry and negotiate it. No, it doesn't. Like do it when you're calm. Yeah, you can't be all, you can't bring up a past event that's totally irrelevant to the way I currently feel. They're like, wait, what? I'm arguing with you. You can't make rules. But the thing is, I know what people are thinking, oh, that must go out the window the second you start fighting about something. It kind of does, but in the moment, first of all, you last a little bit longer without doing it because you know it's been invalidated beforehand and you've already agreed on it. So the first person to do it is totally breaking that rule, which nobody wants to be that person because then they're more wrong than they were before. Yeah, <laughs> right. And if you do, you kind of know that what you said is BS. Right, like, well, you were late yesterday, and then you immediately go, okay, I'm being a total child right now, and I'm clearly wrong if I had to go down that road. 
so maybe I should just take a look at my behavior. You have this instant where you go, okay, now I'm grasping at straws. See, you're not a narcissist. You're able to actually look at your behavior, Jordan. That's awesome. Well, that's why I have this entire program. Exactly, exactly. And last but not least, how do we treat ourselves well if we're not used to doing that? Yeah, so this is another exercise that I do for boundary setting, and that is I have women list at least three to five ways that they can pamper themselves to take care of themselves. It's kind of like the metaphor I, I use a lot. If you're the pitcher of water and you have all these glasses to fill, what good is your pitcher if your pitcher is empty? You, you're doing nobody any good by filling empty glasses. So if you fill yourself up first and you do things for yourself, you have more energy to give to others and others will actually enjoy receiving from you more. Ironically, that's what's interesting about all this. So what does that mean? It's not just getting your nails done, although that's great, you know, massages, going shopping. But if that's something you always do, maybe that's not being used in a pampering way. I'm talking about things that maybe you secretly desire that would like to do for yourself, but never have. It could be internally and it could be externally. So it could be the massage. It could be going to exercise. I actually had people put out like a schedule for themselves so that an hour a day, they're doing something for themselves. It could just be meditation. It could be not talking on the phone. If you're somebody who's always like talking to others and helping others, you know, so any time that you can put in time for yourself is what I call pampering. Perfect. And how do we stop this from becoming a crutch where we find ourselves going shopping every single day because our life sucks? <laughs> Again, it goes back to, you know, balance. And if you're doing something to an extreme, it's just like the narcissist thing we talk about, that's when it's unhealthy. So if a habit becomes an obsession where you can't live without it, then obviously that's not pampering. That's doing something outside yourself where you're almost forgetting, you know, what you're doing to be healthy in the first place. So it's not a replacement by any means. It's a way to create balance in your life and, you know, give yourself something. And again, I'm speaking to the over caretakers because people who aren't over caretakers may not need this as much, but like these little things actually are a lot for them. So I just, I encourage all of you and especially as women to do some good things for yourself. Great, thanks so much, Kim, this is really great. And of course, if anybody's interested in coaching with you, we can set up a connection between you and them, and also we're gonna look forward to more episodes with you here teaching the AOC sisters how to maximize their dating and relationships, so thank you. Oh, you're welcome, I love that, AOC sisters. That's awesome. I know, I just kinda coined that recently, but I feel like a lot of the women that write in, write in all the time. And so I feel like I know them pretty well, actually, and they certainly know me really well from listening to all the things that are going on in my life. So I actually bounce stuff off of them sometimes. I'll be like, hey, what do you think of this? And it's somebody I've never met in my life, but they write me all of the time. So they're actually in a pretty good position to give me a little bit of a female advice here and there. So it's kind of cool. It's awesome. And I know when I talk to your women that they love your show and they, they do find a lot of the things you're talking about to men relevant to them. So I'm just super happy that I can kind of help with some of these women issues. 
Excellent. I'm really stoked, Jason, doing this female toolbox. I think it's really interesting because you're right. At first I was like, oh no, I don't want to cater to one sort of segment of the audience at the risk of alienating another. But I think there's so much to be gained here by everyone involved that these are sort of mandatory must listens for men and women. I can't agree more. You know, I've lived with women for 15 years. And the one thing that I've learned is we are more similar than we are dissimilar. So listening to these episodes really is enlightening, I think, for a lot of guys. Especially cracking the narcissist code. I mean, there's plenty of female narcissists that you'll find in the dating market. And setting boundaries is something that both genders struggle with absolutely. So I enjoy this one. And if you enjoyed this one, don't forget to thank Kim on Twitter. We'll have that linked in the show notes, as well as any resources mentioned on the show. You can tap our album art in most mobile podcast players to see the show notes right on your phone. I also post tons of stuff on Twitter that never makes it to the show, so you can check that out. I'm at The Art of Charm on Twitter. Subscribe in iTunes, write us a review. Not only does it make us feel proud, but it helps keep us up in the ranks so other people who can use this information can actually find us. Special thanks to the Jasons and to Fogarty for their help in production of The Art of Charm podcast. Go ahead, tell your friends, because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else either in person or shared on the web. Now have a great week and leave everything and everyone better than you found them. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and more at theartofcharmpodcast.com.